Well, I want to talk to you about a new hope. A new hope. How did you know I was going to talk about Star Wars? Did you know that that movie was released in 1977? I was uh, only in grade nine at school. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, I wasn't allowed to go to movies. Um, I grew up in a very religious, um, uh, Pentecostal environment. My dad was a, a deacon. He was, um, my mom established We College. I mean, I was the guinea pig. When there was a time for church, if there was a time that the pastor was washing the windows, we would be in church to watch him. That was a joke from Mark Lowry a long time ago, and you guys didn't laugh at that. So I'm not using any more Mark Lowry material. But, um, you know, I, am, I want to talk about a new hope. And um, I'm just going to pull up my notes here. And um, The New Hope was the second title for George Lucas's. He reshaped the future of cinema. Before they knew the movie would spawn several sequels, the title was simply Star Wars. And um, The New Hope. The classic hero myth. It is a, a melodrama, if you know what a melodrama is. A melodrama is if you've gone to, uh, we took the kids to Knott's Berry Farm years and years ago, and they would have these places where you could go and you could watch a melodrama take place. And what a melodrama is, is you have the definite good versus evil. And when the good comes out, you cheer. A whole audience goes, yeah. And when the bad guys come in, they make you go, boo, hiss, hiss, hiss. That's the type of thing it, that Star Wars is. You know who the good guy is, and you know who the bad guy is. And it's funny that a melodrama would become one of the most successful motion pictures and change motion picture movie making uh, forever. Um, uh, there's a, there is a, uh, when we talk about this intergalactic warrior of Luke Skywalker, um, you don't know at the beginning, but this struggle is really a family struggle. You don't know it at the first because you think Darth Vader is some dude with a bad he just has to wear this mask that he breathes heavy in. And today that would be, we would consider him to be a not very nice fellow. I'm trying to be funny here, folks. You've got to go, you've got to join me here without me getting too, okay? And uh, you find out that Princess Leia is his sister. Spoiler alert. How many, how many have not seen Star Wars? Uh, okay, well, you need to go watch it. It is a really... I mean... But 
It's the spoiler alert. Princess Leia is his sister. Darth Vader, who I just talked about, is his dad. Okay, and the list goes on. It, it's more like a family struggle that you, you come into realization as, the sequ- as each session and sequel in each film comes out. But it's interesting, in, uh, in the, one of the newest ones, in the eighth installment, Kylo Ren and Han Solo and Princess Leia's... Now, Han Solo and Princess Leia end up having this child named Kylo Ren, and uh, he's embraced the dark force, and he bows to the Sith Lord named Snork. <laughs> what a... Snoke. Whatever. What a bad... What a name is that, Right? He dons a black robe, helmet like his grandfather, Darth Vader. And he believes he's crushed the rebellion once and for all, but Snoke knows better. And this is what he says. Snoke says, you are no Vader. You're just a child in a mask. And Kylo Ren says, I gave everything I had to you to the dark side. And Snoke says, Skywalker lives, the seed of the Jedi lives, as long as he does hope exists. Now, what kind of spiritual connotation am I going to get out of that? We're, we have gone through the, the, uh, the Ephesians series, and we missed a bit, so we're going to back up and do a couple of things to complete this book of Ephesians. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, verses 10 to 20. And I'm not going to, this portion needs far more time than I'm going to give it today, but it is, um, it, it really needs to be talked about here. And I think that we need to understand what it is that's going on here and and look at spiritual warfare in a certain way. Now, Star Wars has a mixture of all kind of influences. It's a perfect metaphor for our faith. It isn't a perfect example of our times, but around here, there are a bunch of farm boys in Saskatchewan, and there are many of us who would discount our own importance in the conflicts between good and evil. So it's my job as your pastor to call us into a cosmic battle and to show you the role that you have to play in it. The film, which was called A New Hope, is the the theme of the story. The good guys are in the rebellion and the evil guys are the the government or the evil empire. And for the most part, the empire doesn't seem to be so evil, at least not to Luke or the other farmers on the ground. They seem committed to order and peace, but they are the ones behind all the injustices. It's only when Luke seeks to rescue one person that he sees the injustice everywhere else. And what he first thinks is the battle between two distant military forces is actually a family conflict affecting his closest relationships. It's only as he engages in hope, the hope that he can make a difference, that the tide begins to turn. And much of the movie takes place on a spaceship called the Millennium Falcon, Luke is equipped with skills to fight the war, and today we'd be talking about Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. And this passage only makes sense if you believe you are called to be a source of hope in the face of evil. 
If you don't believe God has a role for you to play in the breakthrough of others, you will make the armor of God into a personal help just so that you can get through the day. But there is a battle between, within us and around us and especially in our minds, and that battle is over our hope. That's the battle keeping us out of the larger arena of life, making us power, powerless, ineffectual victims who eventually just try to escape this life of, for heaven. So you might just be a farmer now, but you are called to be a warrior. So if you believe this, then this passage points you towards the real enemy and gives you tools to fight. So, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, and uh, I, I really like this version because it, it kind of opens things up and allows our thinking to break out here. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. You and I are already victorious. And maybe I need to pull up the real, the other version so that you can tell what I'm doing. Uh, just so that I can back and forth, and I, I don't want to take too much of my time here because I want us to have communion. But you and I are already victorious because of Christ. Evil is resisting Christ. And I want to also tell you that evil is also retreating. Well, that was a good time to say amen. Um, a lot of times we don't think evil is retreating because we dwell on the negative and we see only that which is around us. And I, I want to tell you that evil is retreating. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't fight. That's true. Come on, Kevin. It says, be strong. It, in your versions, it'll say, be strong in the Lord. You can't be strong if you've not already been, in, 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 been infused with that strength. Be strong. Put on the whole armor of God. You, you and I are already victorious. Amen. Evil is retreating. And the Passion Translation says, put on God's complete set of armor provided for us so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer, for you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Man, that is good words. Amen. I remember memorizing this, this scripture passage when I was still 
um, the Christian version of scouts was crusaders. And so we had to learn scripture passages. And this was one of them. It's put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. You have to be able to know that you have been given things in order for you to be able to stand in the light of, what's, of what takes place around you. There is a battle going on around you against dark spirits and systems that agree with them. You just don't live in your own bubble where you are trying to survive. The reason why you feel like you're trying to survive is because you're allowing the systems of this world and the evil spirit that is empowering them to be your reality. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we don't talk about this because we are afraid to give it, it bring it out to the light, and we're talking about some kind of, of Tolkien story, or, you know, um, I'm thinking of fantasy, sometimes of um, twin, not the Twin Towers, the, the uh, Tolkien, what is it, Lord of the Rings. Or that other one with the little boy or whatever. But um, <laughs> tells me how much I've, I've watched that. But uh, there are principalities and powers. They are animating motives within the very rich, the very powerful, the very religious, the institutes they represent, and the spirits animating those institutions. For example, if we were to take poverty in a neighborhood... We have to understand that it's not just a, it, is it just, or let me ask you the question, is it just a, a demon angel lurking in the street? You see, in order to confront the principality of poverty, you're eventually going to have to see the end of those predatory lending places like Money Mart, Fast Cash, because they exploit the poor, and keep people trapped in an endless cycle of debt. So what do we do? Well, if we didn't know any better, maybe as religious zealots that we may become, we would go and let's go and let's close one of those money marts. Let's go and throw a stink grenade in them and make it close down for a week. Well, guess what? you'd only be adding to the suffering and injustice to the world, but second, they would simply rebuild a new one. Who is responsible for the injustice? Do we blame the store manager? Do we just find, could we just find another job? How about the owner of the property? We could have refused to let them lease the building. What about the CEO of the company? Would they be able to shut down the operation before the board replaces them? This is why Paul points out to us towards the evil spirits holding the world in bondage. All of us are responsible, but none of us are fully responsible. Inside the corruption of our hearts, our willingness to compromise on evil has given evil forces a collective power. And these spirits together are more powerful than the sum of their parts. If you want to stop hiding and confront those sorts of evil in the world, you're going to need armor. Now, have you understood what you just said? 
There are things that are taking place in the world today are not just simply removing something to end it. You have to be able to confront and deal with the overall arching motive and stronghold that's placed that there. So, as Christians, how do we deal with that? Well, we put on our armor. And the first one is, put on the belt of truth. To strengthen you to stand, it strengthens you to stand in triumph. The truth girds you. It's meant to hold you together, to give you confidence. Truth is not a weapon, but it is, in fact, Jesus Truth is, in fact, who Jesus is. We want to imitate the truth. The truth, having that imitation, allows us to be able to use our armor effectively. Put on Jesus to strengthen you, to stand in triumph. And then it says, put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart. In some of your versions, it's the breastplate of righteousness. Put on holiness as a protective armor that covers your heart. Purity protects you so that you can trust your motives are good. Holiness doesn't keep your heart from pain, nor does it keep you safe from having to be open to others. So what it allows you to do, it gives you ground by which to stand. Purity protects you so you can trust that your motives are good. Just because you, are, you walk in holiness doesn't mean that you're going to face hurt. It just means that you are going to have the strength to be able to stand. Stand on your feet and you will always be ready to share the God blessings of peace. This talks about those is it says here, the shoes, shod the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel is the ground upon which we stand. It's the good news. Your story is hidden in the story of Jesus. You can walk through the mission of life when you remember you're not the main character, but Jesus is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And so when it says that we put on the gospel of peace, it is that gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. He has brought peace. He shed his own blood for the remission of our sins, and it brought peace, an everlasting peace. Then it talks about the shield. In every battle... Take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. You and I are fully protected by trusting in Jesus. Faith is not certainty, it is an allegiance to God.
The blazing arrows are the lies and accusations that contradict what God believes. So, can I just take for a moment, because I, I feel like I'm rushing through this, and I'm not sure that, I'm, that you're all going to catch up with me, but let's, let's walk through the, the armor. The, gird your loins with truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shield of faith. The sword of the Spirit. The helmet of salvation. There are many different ways in which I could go about and bring all of those symbols to your mind as a way of prayer, as a way of understanding the gospel. But in simplicit message is that you and I are in a battle. And the battle means that we need some stuff that will look after us so we can walk in the hope that God has given to us. I don't know about you, but I live in a world where the wrong is right and right is wrong. I just, you know, I don't know if you saw this on TV, but a couple decided that they would do something nice for a homeless person, and so they started a GoFundMe page. Within hours, it was up to 10 grand, and they told him, and he said, oh, that's a life changer. Did you know within a week it was up to $400,000? But now, the man, in, the, the street man, or the man that they, the homeless man, is now taking to the couple in court. And the couple has gone on talk shows to talk about how they have every right to hold back money from the homeless man. I don't know about you, but that's simply retarded. Why would you start a GoFundMe page and then keep it and then... But the thing is, is that many of us here in this room, we have to be careful that we don't go there because we, we do. We do think that because we think that people will not spend their money correctly, that we have a right to keep it from them. We do it when we go down the street. By Midtown Mall, there's a few people that are handing out, they've got their things out and they're going, could I have some spare change? And some of us, myself included, have walked by and go, I know where that's going. But the thing is, You've, you've, led him, you've led people to believe that you're wanting to help them and create a difference. And so you have this dichotomy of what's right and wrong. I don't know about you, but it is weird. I just also read in the news that the, the United Nations is going to try to take Trump to court because of the, of the issues of how he's treated media. Okay, I go, okay, 
But the thing is, then you have to go and take and bring the media to court for how they've treated other people. If you want to follow that through, you have to be fair on both sides. Because the media, I don't know about you, but we, we get a lot of entertainment over people's life. We, re- we like to watch hoarders. We like to watch people who are in substance abuse and how they get confronted of their bad behavior and bad choices. And we find that entertainment. I, 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 what I'm trying to point out here is that wrong is right and right is wrong and we're in a world that seems very much topsy-turvy. And so how does, the, how does Christianity make a way through all of that? Well, I want to tell you is the reason why Christianity hasn't been able to do that, hasn't been able to make a thing, is because we end up fighting ourselves. We end up getting into a battle that the enemy loves to create in this midst. That says, you know what? My battle is not between what's out there, it's what's happening right here. And because I have a battle with you, that means that I'm stuck chasing my tail, so to speak, and fighting something that doesn't need to be fought or shouldn't be fought. Your salvation and my salvation, it says, embrace the power of salvation's eve, of full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Salvation is not just a past experience leading you to heaven one day. It is a present reality that protects your thoughts. And we take that razor-sharp spirit sword, the spoken word of God. It's not just the scriptures. It's the person of Jesus. It's what he says presently, what he is saying to you right now. You see, in A New Hope, there is a famous scene where Luke receives his lightsaber and has to figure out how to use it. And his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, has him wear a helmet that covers his eyes. He has to trust the force to guide him with his weapon. And in this movie, at least, he fails to use it properly. The sword of the Spirit is not just about quoting Scripture. It is about hearing and declaring the present word of the Lord. The thing God is saying to you now has power over the contradictions in your circumstances. So when you're facing contradictions in your circumstances, you go to the Word and you proclaim the Word of God. Because that is in fact the reality of what is happening that is for you. It's not what you are facing presently. Now, get me straight. Yes, there is a battle. But the reality that you have that you can hold on to and be given the power and the authority is that which is given to you through the Word. Because you've been given the helmet of salvation. You've been given a present reality of who Jesus is in your life and circumstance. I am tired as a pastor seeing the fact that we as Christians live out of our own reality of the world, the horizontal one, and not bring this one, heaven, down to earth. (laughs) 
It's funny, the world wants a token little bit of Christianity, but they need the real thing. I, I go to places, and because I'm the token pastor, I get to pray over things. Our athletes' dinner that was just a few weeks ago, the only reason I get asked to do something is because I can pray. You're good at it. Golly gee whiz, yeah, I get to pray. You know what? I, I, I honestly am not trying to put that down because I actually take it as, as an inroad to just because of, who, of whose I am and the presence that I have, I take that seriously. And even though if you heard me pray, if you were there, I said this, in your own culture and in your own tradition, pray with me. Why? Because I don't need this conflict this way. I'm dealing this way. And therefore, what I pray is important because God's going to hear it. So I pray and God's blessing. You see, we play an important part even though our part may seem insignificant and sometimes unimportant and often just an add-on. God never adds just you onto things because he thinks it's just going to give you a nice warm fuzzy. There is a purpose and a plan that he has for you and what you do and who you are and where you are and what you do. Man, this is good preaching and I'm not even on my notes and they keep (laughs) disappearing on me. I'm so flustered, I can't even get my password to work. Okay, here we go. I want to tell you that the Bible's not meant to bash you over the head, or anybody else, for that matter. It's there to bring presence and authority and heaven to where you're at. Knowing that Jesus is with you, knowing what he is saying, is the only weaponry you and I need. You can stand against anything when you're equipped with the creative word of the Lord. Remember, God formed all of creation with that weapon. What he will make... what. What will he make you capable of if you are willing to carry the same sword? Pray passionately, it says in the word here. And we often stop at the, at the word, at the sword of the spirit, but it talks about praying without ceasing. Pray passionately in the spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Pray the blessings of God upon all his believers. There's a form of prayer that you can offer up continuously. It has to do with cultivating an awareness of God's abiding presence. Now, I appreciate what, 
Wes did last week in talking, giving us a liturgy of prayer. I think that's important. But I also want you to know is that a simple prayer can mean, God, what are you doing right now? Oftentimes, it sounds, if you were to stand beside me, I'm talking to myself. I'm not. When something happens, I'm going, God, what are you doing here? What do you want me to do? How are you working in this situation? And I have to always go back and remind myself that what is taking place is not just flesh and blood. Going back to the very first, we wrestle not between flesh and blood, but between principalities and powers. What you are facing is not just some dude that wants to make life miserable for you. It may be that boss, it may be the circumstances that someone is really making life difficult for you. But understand this, that it, there is nothing too difficult for him. He has brought you to a place where he is not shocked that someone said or done certain things to you. Because what he is actually trying to do is to reach in and to install himself in you. And give you the reality of what is already there in and through you. You and I are called to release reinforcements of blessings to other believers. Sometimes Christians can be their own worst enemy. We sometimes forget to bless one another. We, we get jealous of other people's blessings and we think, two things happen. What has God for, uh, forgotten? What is he? He has forgotten about me? What have I? Who am I, chopped liver? God, you, you gave that person that. What about me? Or we get jealous. We want to stand in the way of other people's success. Or we use schemes of the enemy to try to manipulate certain situations. And quite frankly, church, we are called to re bring reinforcements of blessings to other believers. When you see God working on someone and in them, it is your, and I, the desire of Jesus is to reinforce that so that that can be fruitful and to multiply it. That's what we do with children. When they do something good, we don't go, oh, that was just out of luck. I don't know about you, but I never do that to my grandson. If he does something, that he, or granddaughter, if they do something good, I want to reinforce that. So why don't we do that with one another in this room? I'm just saying. And pray that God's revelation would be released through me every time I preach, Paul says. The wonderful mystery of the hope-filled gospel. Yes, pray that I may preach the wonderful news of God's kingdom with bold freedom at every opportunity, even though I'm chained as a prisoner. I am his ambassador. Paul considered the gospel so powerful, 
He knew he was on the front lines of this cosmic war even though he was in the middle of prison. He's speaking these and this and he is in the middle of prison, yet he knows he's in the midst of a war. What excuse is good enough to bow out of the fight? Well, I'm just not the pastor. Or I just don't have what it takes. There was an old French teacher. He was a, kind of a big dude. And uh, he used to, he used to uh, in junior high, he used to go like this. And, I, and you go, what is this? And he goes, this is the world's smallest record player. And it was like his big fat fingers. Plain, my heart bleeds for you. He was making fun because he was trying to tell us that stop holding back. Stop making excuses. Just do it. Church, it is time to stop with the excuses. Stop with what we think is happening and walk in, in the fullness of heaven raining down on earth. And, he, and heaven des, is designed for that. Is designed to work through you and in you and for you. Not so that you have a check. It's so that the best of Jesus can come out of you. It's not what he wants to do, not as a pain reliever, not as a, a credit card that says you can do whatever you want. It's Jesus is being imitated. Therefore, there is power in that imitation that comes in and through you and changes the atmosphere that's around you. I want that atmosphere. In a letter from Birmingham Jail, Martin Luther King Jr. responded to eight clergy members who were criticizing his participation in the civil rights movement. Here was a man who believed he could shift a cosmic battle even from the middle of a prison cell, and he said this. In a real sense, all life is interrelated. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. All men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. Let me say that again because even I can get confused reading it. In a real sense, all life is interrelated. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. All men are caught in an inescapable work of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects others indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And I can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. That is the interrelated structure of reality. So the reason why we fight the great fight of faith is not so that we can have a rosy Christian life. Do you hear me? 
The reason why you fight the good fight of faith is not to have a rosy life. It's so that we can help our brothers and sisters everywhere in the midst of their struggles. You can't take on everything at once. But like Luke Skywalker, you can help your sister or brother when you see they need your help. Church, there is so much more that could be said, but I think I've said enough. I desire for us to be Christians that know about the battle, but aren't afraid of the battle. And understanding that we are interrelated. It's not just for the pastor, but it's for all of us. Just think of what we could do if we stood by each other and fought the good fight together.